Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host. I'm Kara Corinne Safeli. I'm a certified health coach and I help people heal their relationships with food and their bodies. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the pod today. I also want to thank you guys for those of you that had sent in feedback to me after last week's little mini season, mid-season update. A few of you reached out and said really lovely things. So thank you. I always appreciate that. Today we have a guest with us. Her name is Emily Feichels. She is a 20-year-old holistic storyteller and host of Let's Thrive, the podcast. After leaving college, recovering from an eating disorder, and healing chronic hepatitis C, Emily decided to share her journey and guide others along their own. Her work aims to inspire change, expand the mind, and empower anyone who listens to truly anyone who listens to truly thrive in life. She has a passion for 360 wellness, 360 degrees wellness that heals mind, body, and spirit as Emily has seen how emotional trauma from her past caused caused unease in all areas of her life. Emily's story and those of her guests those of her guests show that anything is possible if you're willing to do the work. Now, today's podcast with Emily It's a great episode. She's incredibly well-spoken. I had very little editing to do. And it's a lot about forging your own path. She talks about dropping out of college. And while a lot of you listening have probably already gone to college, I feel like it's a very relatable story. So maybe you're not thinking about whether or not to go to college, but you're thinking about whether or not you want to stay in a relationship or whether or not to get in a relationship, or you're thinking about whether or not you want to have a child or not, or have another child, or get married, or leave your job, or forge a new career, or whatever it is. So her journey of trusting her gut and forging on her own path, I feel like is very relatable. So many of us have had the experience where we go throughout life being box checkers and we just do what we think we're supposed to do or what we're told we're supposed to do to have a great life. And I felt like that was a really relatable story for so many of us. Now, in addition to that, she struggled with anorexia and orthorexia. She had exercise addiction And she talks about her healing journey and how learning to question her thoughts was a key component to her transforming her relationship with food and also transforming her relationship with exercise. So she explains how she really became the witness to her thoughts and questioned them and asked herself, why would I be having that thought and getting curious and and asking herself like why is it that I would be feeling this way which is so much of what the recovery process entails and she beautifully shares that and illustrates that and she also talks about chronic hepatitis c and healing that and losing her mom when she was 10 and how all of that impacted her relationship with food and her own personal journey to where she's at now we also have a quick little chat about what she's up to and her desire to become a health coach for those of you that are in my audience who are in the process of becoming a coach or curious about it or you're thinking of making a career change she has some really good insights in there about what she's up to so without further ado let's get into today's interview thank you again for listening to the love your bod pod and i hope 
You all are well. I am sending you so much love. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. Today, we have a lovely guest with us. Her name is Emily. Emily, welcome to the pod. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. <laughs> Yay. So let's just dive in. Like For people who don't know you, share with us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and about your relationship with food and your body growing up and your struggles and stuff. Well, I guess as a present day little intro to me, I'm just you know, a 20-year-old trying to break the stigma that there is so much around what we're talking about today, such as eating disorders and dropping out of college and different chronic conditions. And where this all really started was with my journey of food and exercise and really, you know, disordered eating. Uh, Growing up, I had a very loving household. There wasn't really talk of diets and such, but I did have a mom who faced breast cancer twice and you know, during that time when she was going through that, there was some health talk, right? Like I heard stuff, but it wasn't really inflicted on me. Then when I was around eight or nine, I had a doctor, you know, tell me right in front of my mother, tell my mother right in front of me that I was 15 pounds above my ideal BMI. She didn't really say anything about it to me, but that would be in the back of my mind. And it'd come into play like later down the line. So then when I was around 10, she did end up passing away. And it's actually interesting, you know, thinking back on that time because when she first, you know, when we first lost her, that first probably six months, I was just really depressed and angry and frustrated and confused. And I actually fell into, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it like a binge mode, but it was a very heavily emotionally eating time. And I had this motto of, whenever I saw, you know, a salad or something, quote unquote, healthy, I'd say like, you only live once, what are you doing? And I just had that mentality. And then somewhere along the lines, like things just started to shift. And I realized that I was, I just felt like all these emotions, right? And I didn't know what to do with them. And suddenly I realized that if I could be healthy, you know, quote unquote, then I might not get cancer. Like my mom, I had this irrational fear of getting sick of losing control. I didn't like, like even back then I could see that my mom had lost control of her health. You know, she, everything about cancer is just out of your control. And so even back then I had that idea of like, I don't want to lose control like that. I don't want to ever get sick or die. And so I just started on this radical journey to be as healthy as I could be. And back then that meant, you know, getting my information and my resources from Pinterest and Google and whatever health magazine was sitting on our, you know, my cousin's table, wherever I was at. And then at the same time, I had that, you know, that thought in the back of my mind of, oh yeah, didn't my doctor say I was, you know, that certain amount over my BMI? And it was just this perfect storm of me wanting control, wanting a distraction, not liking the way I looked, you know, compared to my friends going into middle school. And then all these outside influences just bombarding me with information of what it meant to be healthy. And so I started this journey uh, to lose weight and it just quickly spiraled, right? It gets addictive. You step on the scale and every time you see the numbers drop, you're just never content. You have to keep going. And that's what happened. And I didn't see it as an issue because I was always eating, but I was always over-exercising. And so it just became this really unhealthy obsession in distraction from everything going on in my life. Uh, so it was just a very 
downward spiral from there you know, for me in regards to food and health and my relationship to it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I can only imagine what it would be like at 10 years old to have a parent pass away and the impact that that would have on you. And when you say you wanted a distraction, was it a distraction from like the grief that you were feeling about that? Yeah. Because, you know, in the first six months, whenever I felt sad or a thought of her came up, I'd either start crying or I'd start watching Netflix or I'd get something to eat. Like those were my coping mechanisms, my actions. When I started this crazy journey, suddenly that didn't happen anymore. If I felt those emotions coming on, I'd go for a run or, you know, I'd exercise or I would just be so consumed with my food and everything going on that I didn't even think of those things. I didn't even think of her or my sadness or my crumbling family and home life, right? It was one big distraction that kept me so busy and just so consumed in that mental mindscape of an eating disorder that I either didn't have time to feel those things or I found unhealthy ways to channel that grief and that need for control. Mm. Do you feel like, I'm curious of your perspective now, like in hindsight, are you able to look back on this time when you had this eating disorder and had this distraction and while over-exercising and under-eating and like a fixation on food, we all know these are maladaptive, like negative feedback loops. They're not really effective in the long run, but can you look back at it and see that like that was what helped you get through when you didn't know how else to deal with stuff? Or like, do you have any sense of like, it was my life graph when I didn't know how to navigate the waters that I was swimming in? Or do you look back on it and do you only think about like the negatives of it? Honestly, I, I do think of it like, I don't, I just don't think of it all as negative because I don't know. I'm a very sensitive, emotional person. And I've had a couple moments that were very, very dark for me. And thankfully I've always had something to pull me out of them. But if I hadn't had that entire journey, A, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And B, I don't know how I would have done back then. Um, You know, there was just a lot more going on besides just losing her. And so it was honestly some sort of a life raft. And uh, in a lot of ways, I was able to grow from it. So, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. And so I, yeah, I mean, I don't look back at it as all negative. I think there were a lot of lessons I learned. That would be kind of what I'd say to that. Hmm. Yeah. Do you have some of those lessons front of mind? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but like what, like some, some of those lessons. Well, I quickly learned even after recovering, I realized, um, just my, how addictive my personality is. Mm -hmm. And so going into high school, actually, I made an oath to myself that I wouldn't drink, you know, or do any underage drinking, partying, like everyone else in my grade because I knew that fundamentally I would be drawn to it, right? I'd have this addictive personality, I'd go into it and not saying that's bad, but for me, it might've ended up kind of bad. Uh, So that's one of them. And then also, I think it just really gave me like, so coming out of it, it gave me a deeper appreciation for my life. So once I did start to recover and see everything my eating disorder had stolen from me, I just, became such a grateful, you know, little 14, 15 year old. I never really fit in because of just this perspective I had on life. But I think that just like with losing a parent or losing anybody, right? Like you come out of things like that and you realize what, what you've lost. And in that case, I had lost a lot of time and a lot of years of my youth uh, to my eating disorder. So it did give me a bit of perspective on that. 
Mm, mm. I'm curious, and I know we'll, we'll get to us, or maybe we'll just talk about it now. Um, I'm curious to what extent that realization of like, wow, I've lost a lot of time to this contributed to you deciding to forge your own path, you know, dropping out of college to find your voice and do what you wanted to do. Like what role did that play in that decision? I mean, that played a, a big part because one of my still to the present day comments about college is that for me, it just would have been a waste of time. Like I, I feel like every day is just so precious and it's not always easy to remember that I have days where I'm completely wasting the day, but like, I just have this appreciation for time and the idea of going to college for however many years it took me and just like spending this time in the dorm room and only taking like a couple classes a day. Like to me, it just felt like a giant waste of time when I could take a tricky, semi-trickier, <laughs> navigate the rough seas of everything I've been doing lately, but yet also just like take that time as my own. And I think that was like a big part of it too. Uh, and then also just like the people pleasing aspect of, you know, like taking the path that I thought was right. Because even in my eating disorder, I was still always making sure that like, the people around me were happy, right? And so all my life, I've just kind of tried to have this appreciation for time. And then I've also always been a people pleaser. So leaving college was me taking back this like lost time and me finally doing something for myself in like the first step to leaving that people pleasing tendency behind, I suppose. Mm. Who do you think you were trying to please with going to school? Was it just like a societal narrative? Was it your, your father? So it's funny, I had this realization about six months after coming home. When I was young, my mom didn't go to college. She started work right out of high school, was extremely successful with it. She just had the best work drive. And so as a kid, people started asking me what I wanted to do, right? That conditioning. And at the one point I said, I didn't want to go to college. And, you know, my aunts, uncles, whoever was around kind of threw like a little thing of like, no, no, like you got to go to college for the experience. Like that's what you do. And they just wanted what they thought was best for me. Right. And so somewhere that had to be in the back of my mind because I never said it again. I never said I'd not go to college again. Uh, and then a big part of it was also guilt. So when my mom died, my family started a fundraiser, like a golf outing for about three years and they raised money for my bro brother and I to go to college. It wasn't like it was going to cover it all, but it was a substantial amount. And I thought, you know, they raised this money. I have to use it. I have to go to college for it. Uh, and I think I was really like, it just seemed like everyone was waiting for me to go off to college. I'd be, you know, the second in my family too, besides my dad. And there was just like a lot of pressure, I think, on what I thought they wanted to see for me and um, where I'm from. If you don't go to college, let's just say there's not much opportunity for you. And I think they were afraid of that. However, I've never thought of just staying put here. So um, I just had a completely different idea, I think, about my future compared to what they thought my future would look like if I left school. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Totally deeply relate to you with the people pleasing, doing what you think you're supposed to do. And that A, like A plus B equals successful career. And it's not always how, you know, it, successful career and happiness. And it's not always how it works out when you do what you think you're supposed to do in life. Um, but what was your like recovery process like, and were you like in a recovered place by the time you were making this decision to leave college 
or was that like, was leaving college a part of your recovery process? Yeah. So it's actually interesting. Something about that year was just a big turning point for me. So in the summer before college was when I first learned what the term orthorexia meant. And I started to realize I may, I may be over my anorexic days and all of that jazz, but for the past, you know, from probably 17 to 19, 18, whatever, I had just replaced the old with a new and it was orthorexia, better, to, you know, easier to hide. I didn't know I was ha- what was happening to me. And most people don't even identify orthorexia as a thing, right? So um, it was just interesting because in that final year of high school, I was deep, deep, deep in orthorexia. A big part of that was because my body was literally failing me from hep C, which we can talk about in a bit. Uh, and then all the stress, you know, final year of high school, going off to college, all these pressures. And I channeled that once more through orthorexia into being super healthy and super fit and just letting that be a part of my identity and who I was. And so then going into college, I, my body was still failing even worse, uh, you know, just physically health wise. And then I'd identified that I was still really struggling just with a new disordered eating pattern. And I didn't know how to go about resolving that, just trying to learn more from podcasts and such. And then also it was just, I always say it was like my first intuitive hit of like identifying that pit in your stomach and that feeling. And I gave myself five days to ride the emotional roller coaster and eventually decided I could get all my money back. And I thought, well, if I can get my money back, I'm not staying. So I came home and that coming home was then the start of my health journey to heal my actual physical diagnosis, but then also start healing my mind and the orthorexic tendencies. And so that was really like a big turning point for me, a, a catalyst, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so take us back to like getting your, your diagnosis with chronic hep C. What was it like to receive that diagnosis and how did that influence like the orthorexic patterns that you sort of developed? So by the time I got my actual diagnosis, I'd say I was well aware of, you know, orthorexic tendencies. I was really doing a lot of recovery work for that. However, before, like in the time of my diagnosis, they actually didn't know what it would be. And I had this month where they had told me, you know, there was a high possibility were these other two terminal diseases. And in that moment, I had this, I once more, that feeling of, life is so short. What am I doing? Like, I don't want to waste any more time stuck even in these like recovering stages of orthorexia. And I was like, I'm just ready to go like all in recovery. Screw this. Um, And then that quickly though morphed into once I did get the diagnosis of chronic hep C into this extreme fear of like, not fear, but that feeling of like, I need to be extra quote unquote healthy again. Right. And, um, things were going out of my control again. Doctors were suddenly telling me what to do. I was starting a powerful drug, you know, to resolve, to heal the hep C and everything just fell out of my control, right? I didn't ask for this diagnosis. I didn't ask for this treatment plan, none of it, but there's telling all this stuff to me. And so I kind of felt myself being pulled back into more of the controlling tendencies and fear foods and not knowing what would harm my body and what wouldn't uh, because I was having a lot of gut issues and skin issues and all this stuff. And so there, it switched from that, like, I'm ready to recover mode back into a bit of that, like fear mindset and what's going to heal me, what's going to harm me. And so that took a little while actually to 
kind of pull myself out of and say, hey, you're going right back to that old BS. Let's not do that. Let's keep, let's keep working towards recovery. And so then I did finally, you know, I was able to make that shift and start working back towards, you know, what I hope to be recovery. Mm. And what did that look like for you? Like, what did the shift look like? What were the actions that you were taking? Like what supported you? The vibe I'm getting is that you largely like did this through your own sheer will and you didn't seek help is what I'm hearing. What was it like for you or did you seek? Well, so it was interesting, like three months after I came home from college, I'd say I did an eating disorder support group. I don't know exactly what to call it, but it was with Britt Berlin of the Banana Diaries, if anyone knows her. And she had just done it one round through. And that was the first time, that was like a big aha moment of discovering what orthorexia necessarily looked like, because I had acknowledged it that some, you know, before dropping out of college and then working through that program with her showed me what tendencies I still had. So she taught me how to analyze thoughts. So if I'm going to make my oats, what thought comes to my mind if I go to add an extra spoonful of peanut butter? Or, you know, if I want a snack, like do my thoughts shift from like what to eat? Like, you know, just identifying more of those internal signals of something's going on and to start questioning myself. So when I was having those tricky moments after the diagnosis of kind of slipping back into some old things, I just started to implement those practices again of wondering why I felt better not physically, but just like mentally about certain foods, you know, when I ate them and questioning myself whenever I hesitated before reaching for the extra spoonful of nut butter or reaching for the extra, you know, bit of dessert. Uh, I just started questioning myself and really analyzing like, why do I label this food as bad? Was there a time in my life when someone told me that? Is it a self-belief? And I just started really questioning and analyzing a lot of these thoughts, not, you know, second guessing myself per se, but just stopping before following every urge and every little thought that popped in my, into my head. And I think that acknowledging those and identifying them and then doing like the idea, we talked about it in your episode with me, but opposite action of if some, if something said, don't add that extra spoonful of nut butter, I did. And I just kept doing that time and time again until it became second nature. I didn't even think about what it meant to add another spoonful of nut butter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is so much of like what the recovery looks like is just identifying those disordered eating diet mentality thoughts, questioning them and choosing for yourself and not just listening to what the thoughts are. Was it a slow process? Was it like, how long did it really take you to get from that realization of like, oh, I'm slipping into these orthorexic patterns again, trying to manage my, trying to control uh, my health to being like, I actually feel like I'm at a good place. I don't even like question the second tablespoon of peanut butter or whatever it is. It was a definite slow process. And that was another thing, you know, we talked about that timeline of like, okay, so we get this idea in our minds of a timeline of recovery and we think it'll look like so you know another person's or we think like these are the steps we take and it's not that and I'm such a perfectionist you know I still have control issues and so when I identified these things it was kind of in my mind of like okay let's let's fix this now let's recover let's just fix it and that's not the case and so at first actually a big thing I struggled with and 
maybe you've seen this with people you've worked with, but just getting so down on myself when I did have a little step back or slip up, right? And I followed one of those urges or I had one of those days where I just like let the thoughts win and I'd get so down on myself that it would kind of, it doesn't make much sense when you say it out loud, but it leads you into a little bit of a spiral, like one one little slip up and suddenly you're sliding down the entire slide (laughs) instead of just like standing back up again and continuing on. And so I'm also someone that I learn from the mistakes and I learn from the lessons. And so it took me falling down time and time again to eventually start getting right back up again. And so every time that I did follow one of those urges or let one of those thoughts in, instead of just going (laughs) like, Oh, oh, like the hell with this. I'm done. Like, it's okay. I messed up. I just now have gone to a place where it happens and I move on. And I remember it in the back of my mind of like, okay, next time, like, let's, let's try to, you know, fight that voice or let's try to overcome it. And so it was a slow process with a lot of highs and lows and stumbles along the way. And it still is like, I'm still actively every day. There's something not every day, but every so often there's something new that comes up and I realize I need to work through that. I need to analyze it and see why I'm still holding on to that bit of my past. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I say recovery is not a straight line. It's a motherfucking scribble. (laughs) And you're right. You have those days where you're like, I'm doing pretty well. Like things are good. And then like all of a sudden you have a bad day and you feel like you're frailing and you're like, oh no, like I'm regressing. I'm not getting better. I can't do this. Right. Like all of the negativity when really it's just an opportunity for you to strengthen, to build resilience, to pick yourself back up and to learn. It's just an opportunity for you to collect more data so you're stronger moving forward. But when you're in the thick of it, it can really be like a a blow to the ego. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but like it can really get you down. Like you're saying, like, you're like, oh, I thought I was like, I thought I healed this or I thought I was doing better. Like, why am I struggling again? Like, what's wrong with me? And I think it's really important to remind yourself that it's like a continual process of falling down and getting back up. And then eventually you fall down less. Unless as time goes by and you build that resilience and you collect data and you analyze and you make shifts and you question, you said, why am I still letting that come in? Yeah, it's such a process of that. And it, and it makes you stronger in the end. It makes you more resilient. You learn so much about your, your strength and your capacity and your willingness to, to be with the intensity that arises. Um, but yeah, it's a good reminder yeah. for anyone listening. If Just keep going. Yeah. And, you know, we mentioned this once more in our episode, but social media is definitely like a major factor of that, right? Because I, I share on social media, I'm very open about everything. And sometimes it's hard to admit those little like failure, not failures, but uh, you know, a struggle. It's hard to admit that to people when you think of yourself as a source of, you know, influence, inspiration in their life. But in reality, like we need more of that because we all know Instagram is, or any social media is a highlight reel. But even when it comes to things such as ED recovery, I think that sometimes it's, you know, we, we still just show the highlights of that even, you know, like a recovery win. And we don't always share the struggles, which is fine, you know, positivity out there. But I think it's also more of a realistic show to people of, hey, I still struggle with this. It's okay if you do. Don't beat yourself up. Don't think you're a complete failure because I do too. And it's normal and you just keep going. And I think we do need a bit more of that. And it's something I'm trying to get more comfortable with it's it's a process just as much as recovery too to be open about the good and the bads in recovery 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's easy to think that nobody else struggles with anything because we like, you know, just like smile and put on a good face and like, I'm fine. I'm okay. And so when you're struggling and all you see is people's like shiny highlight reels, you're like, what's wrong with me? So I completely co-sign and sharing the ups and the downs of your journey are helpful to people in their own journey, knowing that they're not alone and like there's nothing wrong with them. And it's just part of the process. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious of your vision for yourself and like your career and what you see as being possible. You know, I'm someone who dropped out of college too. And I would just like love to hear sort of like where you're at, what you want to create. And it sounds like you're still feeling very confident about your choice to, to drop out and where are you headed? Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting because I always describe it kind of once more as a bumpy all over the place timeline of when I first came home from college, all I could think about was starting to feel better again and really trying to get that my life back on track from an eating disorder. I didn't want to carry that with me into my mid 20, you know, mid late 20s. I wanted to resolve it ASAP <laughs> as soon as possible. And once I got the, you know, hep C cleared out and I really started to feel, you know, free from my eating disorders, even with it being the orthorexia, suddenly I was faced with that big, like, what's next question. And to be honest, like in these last few months, you know, we're recording in the time of Corona 2020 and being home out of my part-time work and with so much time to think, it's really thrown some just like new perspectives my way and things I hadn't known about myself. And in that, I just found myself really craving once more control because suddenly I didn't have like my health, I didn't have, the hep C was done and over. Like I still have a few health physical problems to sort out, but they're, you know, on the way to recovery. And then I'm doing a while with orthorexia and it was just like, what's next? I, I dropped out of college. Like, what do I do for myself now? And so now it's about, creating a future that I, that I'm just so happy and content with. I'm, I'm done being, (laughs) you know, just like sad and stuck and lost. And I know those times will still come up, but I just really want to just live a vibrant life because I'm, I'm 20 and I just, I want that. Like I, there's nothing else I want in this world than to just have a vibrant, happy life where I'm not like struggling every day against the voice in my head or against a physical ailment or against a boss I don't like. And so because of that, I'm just so passionate right now about finding a way to create a future that's like entirely unique to me while also fulfilling like my passion for helping others and for speaking out about these struggles that I've gone through. So that's with the Instagram and that's with my podcast and eventually I'm right now working to become uh, it's through the adapt health coaching program and it's a board certified health coach. And um, you know, I struggled with that decision for a while because I did tried IIN before I didn't like a lot of the things I taught. So I left that. And with this program, it's so far so good. There's a few things I don't agree with, but I'm at a place now where I know that I can, help people if they have a health goal they want to reach without the 
influence of diet culture, I suppose. And so that's something I'm in training for now. Uh, that'll be happening in about a year. But besides that, I'm just in that place of figuring it out. And every day presents me something new. You know, I've learned how much I love to help people through the podcast and just one-on-one -on -one through messages, DM, just a support, emotional, you know, mental support. And so now it's about trying to figure out how do I fuse all of that into a future that I'm just really content and happy with. And I know that's a privilege in itself. Not everyone gets to choose that, but um, it's a choice I can make. So I'm going to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm glad you threw that last piece in there. You know, it, it's a it's a privilege to be able to have so much agency around mm -hmm. how you want to um, proceed forward in your life and the choices that you you want to make. And that's so interesting that you said that about like some of the things with IIN. Uh, I have a lot of friends that have gone there. A lot of my like fellow health coaches have gone there, have heard for the most part, like good things. And I have a client who's in um, my Embodied Rebel Academy, which is a training program to be a food and body image coach. And we do like a huge section on like diet culture and, and like her content in IIN is like weight loss related um, and like obesity epidemic related. And we're over here being like, um, we're weight neutral. <laughs> you can take care of your health regardless and irrespective of weight changes. And so it's been really interesting to um, uh, just navigate it, you know, like diet culture yeah. is still alive and well and strong, even as, even in the wellness culture, which is something we've talked a bit on this podcast is how like wellness culture can very much be a cloaked version of diet culture, even though there's some great things from wellness culture that all of us probably love. Uh, there's definitely still some of that privilege and good food, bad food and thinner is better woven into it, you know, which, um, I think is starting to shift, but it's going to take a lot more work for our culture to really like shift around those things. Um, today on your Instagram, uh, you had posted about how you have changed your relationship with movement. And mm -hmm. I'd love for you to just share what some of those key components to you having a better relationship with movement and exercise were like, what really helped you change the script and maybe tell us what was it like before what is it like now and what helped you? Right. So that's been an interesting train too. And it was as a bit of backstory on it too. I had just did a solo episode on my relationship to exercise addiction and healing from it. And I actually had someone reach out because there was an important part of it that I had left out and I'll go into that. But when I was deep in my like eating disorder days, when I was you know, 12, 13 ish, like insane exercise addiction, right? It was I had to burn more than eight, like eight. I had to, I had such structure and rigidity with it. And during recovery, then it was, I can't even go for a walk. I can't even do yoga. And so then as I, you know, okay, or as I eventually earned back those, you know, the right to go for a walk with my family or do yoga, I did develop like an appreciation for exercise, but I also went from scarcity mindset to like, a kid in a candy shop because as soon as I was able to exercise again and you know my dad's guard was down again because I was doing fine I was just so thirsty to get back to it like I I just missed you know I craved it it was kind of like the idea of restrict and binge that's exactly what I did and so it didn't take long before I was right back in it and not as extreme but it was still something that I relied on it determined how I felt about my body that day what foods I ate uh, so then during high school, very active, you know, I did soccer and lifeguarding 
And then I was also falling back into exercise addiction. And so it was just like a long road of overworking my body and just pushing myself to my limits. Um, And so then it was interesting because as I discovered what orthorexia was, also came the topic of exercise addiction. And I listened to other people talk about it. I read things about it and realized, oh shit, that's me. (laughs) That's how I feel about it. I'm letting it determine what I eat in a day. I'm letting it determine my self-worth, my body image. I can't go without it. Like rest days did not exist for me. And so that was hard. Uh, Once more, I started to navigate it on my own. It was definitely a struggle in the beginning. But over time, I think as I allowed my body to rest, my body started to demand rest. Uh, Just like, you know, we discussed this with the idea of when you restrict for so long, like your, your mind stops sending hunger cues. Well, my body, it stopped sending, I need to rest cues because it knew I wasn't going to. And so as I forced myself to take rest days and really tone back on the exercise, um, my body started demanding more rest because it knew I would listen. And once more, the hep C was wiping me out. Uh, so I didn't have a lot of choice some days. And so I really just went from exercising obsessively multiple times a day, uh, only equating you know sweat and that exhaustion with a good workout to a place I'm at now where I love, I, and I shared this in the post today, but I love movement. Uh, you know, I kind of go from calling it exercise to movement now. I love movement because of how it mentally makes me feel um, and because of how like energetically it makes me feel. So I love doing low impact and walking and everything where I can feel my body moving. It's not just about sweat or calories or any of that. Now it's about like feeling every now and then my muscles burn in like a strength training one or feeling them stretch and get flexible in yoga or just going for a walk where the main benefit of it for me is that my, you know, my mental clarity is just so crisp and clear when I'm outside walking. And so I've really shifted from this place of using exercise as a means for what I eat or how I look to exercise is, you know, exercise and movement more so is like my own form of therapy but it's about like removing that obsessive quality to it so now i i move when i want to and how it feels good and do it different times of day and for different lengths of time in different forms so that i never become addictive obsessive and like dead set on that insane exercise addiction again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so just like less rigid rigidity Yes. And less like I have to do this many reps and I have to do this much cardio for this long at this incline. Like it's more fluid and relaxed and just whatever feels good in the moment day to day. Right. And I mean, one of the most powerful feelings is when you can start a workout, identify that you don't feel good to do it and stop. Like the first couple times I was able to do that or turn around in the beginning of a run, that was a huge growth moment for me because before it was, you know, balls to the walls, you've got to go insane or it's not a good workout. And so the first time I was able to do that and I still do it to the day, that was a huge moment of growth for me because it showed that I was able to discern what I should do and what felt right for my body. So. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, which is, it's uh, such a different type of relationship. So that's you actually being in relationship with your body, listening to it, trusting it, responding to it, taking care of it. Whereas before it was like militant, my body's a slave, it's doing whatever I say it needs to do, regardless of how it feels. And it's so much more of like a symbiotic relationship. It's like when it's asking for movement, you move. When it's asking for rest, you rest. Like that's so much more of a give and a take than before where it was just like, do whatever I say you're going to do, regardless of how you're feeling. Right. And, I, and it goes hand in hand with all the food and the emotional and mental recovery side of things too, because like you can't, I just, I couldn't recover from the food side of things if I was still obsessively exercising, right? Like it's, it's even symbiotic in that nature of they, they go hand in hand. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You have to take a well-rounded approach. Even if you do it in phases, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of what I see with, at least with my clients, as we do things in phases, we like try not to, we like, what I find to be most effective is going slow and, and doing, focusing on one thing at a time and having it build upon each other. Like you lay the foundation and you work your way up to building the house of food freedom. Um, and I think they all need to be addressed so that you can actually get to a place where you're like holistically well. It's like, you can't heal your relationship with food without doing body image work. It's just not going to mm-hmm. work. Like at some point you got to do some body acceptance work. Otherwise you're going to still be fixated on food, you know? And like you said, if you heal your relationship with food, but then you're still doing like exercise bulimia and you're pounding your body, it's like not, you know, it's like they all have, they all have to be taken a look at for sure. Yeah, no, Definitely. <laughs> Yeah. So give us advice for your younger self. I know you're still hella young. I got (laughs) more than a decade on you. Um, And you can pick any age that feels pertinent to you with where you're at right now in your life. I would say in general, this could go to me at any point in the past seven, eight years of just being more open to the world around me. And so the way I explain this is that after I lost my mom and some other things happened in my life, I just really closed off from everything, right? And I isolated myself with my eating disorder in my mind. Not a fun time. And so as I continued to grow, then it was, you know, I was stuck in my little town. And then it was just like all these little ways I found that I just felt stuck and trapped and isolated. And so my advice to a younger self would be to be open and to explore and to try new things. And so in that, you know, that involves asking the million questions that were always running through my mind, but I was afraid to ask or voicing my opinion. Uh, so many times I wanted to, but I just didn't feel confident enough in myself to, or, you know, trying something new instead of letting my ED hold me back in those same habits and rigidity. And so just this overall idea of explore and be open to everything like life in the world has to offer because I spent so long in my own little shell and it was actually interesting. I did a Reiki session once and I didn't go into it expecting to see anything. I was kind of a bit skeptical and I had this insane experience of just like seeing a version of myself trapped at like the bottom of an ocean. Like it was like a reflective surface, right? And it was so insane because ever since then I felt I've understood that I did lock like a part of myself away. I was so self-isolating. And so ever since then, it's been this idea of exploring everything there is to and opening myself up to every idea that comes my way and contemplating it, deciding if it's a yes or a no for me and then moving on. And so I think that would be it, like explore, open, and just like release that, <laughs> that inner part of me that I kept hidden for 
for so long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Wise advice. You know, be open to the world. It's amazing. Cosine. (laughs) (laughs) So Emily, this has been amazing. Tell us where can everybody find you? Tell us about your podcast, which I was a guest on. I don't know when the episode is going to be released. Um, But yeah, where can everybody find you if they want to learn more and connect with you? So I'm on Instagram at Emily Feichels. Uh, The last name is spelled F-E-I-K-L-S. I'm also on there at my podcast account. So at Let's Thrive Podcast. And for the actual podcast, which yes, your episode will be out. I still have to check my schedule on that one. But uh, that is Let's Thrive. It's available on all podcast platforms. And we just focus, you know, just a lot of things with wellness and mindset and a little bit of spirituality thrown in there. It's just a a big, you know, big jumble of fun and advice and inspiration. So people want to check that out, they can. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Emily. Of course. Thank you. Hey, wait a minute before you pop off. Did you like today's episode? Was it helpful? If you got a lot out of it, the most helpful thing you can do in return is to leave a ratings and review on iTunes. Those reviews really help keep the podcast going. They let me know you're listening and that you're loving it. And I'm always so grateful to get them. I do read them all. If you don't have iTunes or you don't have an iPhone, you can always share the podcast in your Instagram stories. Take a screenshot, share it. Let me know you're listening. Be sure to tag me. If you love this episode, be sure to tag Emily and let her know. She would love that as well. And with that, I will see you guys all in probably two weeks since we're doing bi-weeklies now. And I love you guys. I hope you're great. Talk soon.